So we're going to press on. I want to look this morning at the rest of your life. What do I mean by I want to look at the rest of your life? Well, if you listen to commentators at the moment, whether they're public health commentators or political commentators or sociological commentators, a lot of them are now referring to what they call the pre-COVID world and the post-COVID world. That we are at some form of a changeover in the way that we live, in the way that we do things, in the way that we behave. And they're saying there's a change coming, but the way that we did life up to now will be different as we go forward. Well, let, 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 let's see what happens there. But they're saying that they're, they're going to start easing restrictions. In some countries, they've eased the restrictions very significantly, and life is pretty well getting back to normal. But I want to take an opportunity, if you will, before life goes back to what we might call normal, to pause and think about what the rest of our lives will be like. Because very often, when we talk about the rest of our lives, today is the first day of the rest of your life. That was my maths teacher, Mr. Barry, Mr. John Barry, said to us when we went into first year in secondary school. He sat us all down, he said, lads, today is the first day of the rest of your life. A handful of the people in the class listened to that and made the best of the moment. And some of the rest of us, well, maybe not so much. We didn't get so tuned in at the time. But we knew this, it was the beginning of the rest of our life. And I want to talk to you today about the rest of your life. And I don't necessarily want to talk to you about it in... I don't want to talk to you about it in chronological terms, the time of your life, even though that is very important and that will be part of a message we'll do in a couple of weeks' time. Let me look at, let me, before we get busy again with life and we get out and we have to take kids to hurling or we have to take kids to school or start commuting again and doing all the stuff that we were doing before the, before the shutdown of society and the shutdown of the economy, before we get back, I want you to think about something. If you're like me, and I don't know that you are, and I think a lot of people are like this, and of course, whether you, if you're working, you might have one of these, a to-do list. I have to-do lists everywhere. Elma's always saying, you've got more to-do lists. If you look at my diaries, they're full of to-do lists. My journal is full of to-do lists. I'm always reminding myself of things that I need to do. Part of it is that I don't trust my own memory, and the other part is that I just like to know what's coming. I know what I have to do, and then when I get up in the morning, I can rush and charge into that and get it done. The problem with the to-do list and the to-do mentality is that to-do mentality is not only in our society, but it also can leak into our faith. That to-do mentality can soak into all parts of the way that we live our lives, but also it can soak into our faith. And very often we are busy doing things that will enhance or make our faith better. And that's good. We'll get to that in a second. However, in the process of all the doing, sometimes we can forget about what the writer David Murray calls the gospel of done. The thing about us for Christians, for us as Christians, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, there's something we have to take cognizance of every single day. And that is, Jesus said, it is finished. It is done. We can't add to our, our, our salvation in any way. We can't do more to gain it. We can't do less to lose it. This is what Paul says when he writes to the Ephesians in one of his letters from lockdown. He writes this to them. He says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for it. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. Salvation was not, a, was not a, a reward 
for, for what we've done. It was, uh, our works are a response to what God has done. They're not the requirement, or they're not the price of it, but they are the response that flow from it. And sometimes we can be going in our lives and carrying heavy burdens that we don't need to carry, whether those burdens are in our minds, are in our souls, are in our faith and are acting out, are in, in our bodies. We can be carrying burdens that we don't need to carry especially when we depend upon what Jesus has done. It is finished. It is complete. We can't take credit for it. It is already done. I want to look at that today. That's what I want to look at that today. I want to look at this idea that we're carrying too much and that we have too much going on in our minds and our bodies and in our souls. And I want to look at God's remedy for it. But I want you to take away one thing if I could today. This is the thing I'd like you to take away. Because of our faith, because of our faith, if we believe the incredible, unblushing promises of God, I want to say this to you, the rest of your life can be a life of rest. Amen. The rest of your life can be a life of rest. Now, what do I mean? Do I mean rest as in the don't do anything sense? No, that's not what I mean. Is it the don't do, is it a life of rest as in we're all now going to retire? No, that's not what it means either. The life of rest I'm talking about is a life that is lived without striving. It's lived without anxiety. It's lived without worry. But it's still lived with passion. And it is still productive. And it still honors God. But it is a restful state of mind, of heart, of soul, and even of body in our physical activity. I want to look at the gift that God gave to his people in the Ten Commandments. When we look at Exodus chapter 20, the Exodus chapter 20 outlines the first rung, the first time that the Ten Commandments are laid out. Moses gives the Ten Commandments, so God gives the Ten Commandments to Moses. And in the middle of them all, there is this one command that just doesn't seem to fit. If you look at all the other commands, they kind of make sense. They still make moral sense. They're still considered to be the moral basis. A lot of the commands are still considered the moral basis of the way that we live our lives. But there's one in the middle that I must say, to me, doesn't make an awful lot of sense. It doesn't fit there unless you understand what God is doing. And here is that. It is the fourth commandment. And it says this. The seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. He goes on to say, this includes you, your sons and your daughters, your male and your female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you. You go, what? Like in the middle of this moral code, in the middle of this, this instructions for the best way to live, the Lord says, yeah, and by the way, once every week, you must take a rest. You have to rest. You have to rest and you have to take time. You go, what's that about? And he says, not only must you take a rest as maybe the head of the household, but you must also have your sons rest. Your daughters must rest. Your male and female servants must rest. Then the farmers living among you must rest. Even your animals must take a rest on this day. And you go, what's that about? Imagine you were working for a company. Imagine you just got a new job. You've just got hired by a new job. And praise God, I've heard some stories of people getting new jobs. Praise God, in the midst of this current climate, people are getting new jobs and being blessed every day. Would anyone say amen? amen. Imagine you go in and the boss sits you down and says, welcome, welcome to the team. You're, you're in. So here's what I want to tell you. You work for this company. If you moonlight with another company, you're fired. If you steal from us, you're fired. 
If you carry on with the boss's wife, you're fired. If you lie to us, you're fired. And if you don't take a day off, you're fired. He's going to go, what? The boss has said he's going to fire me if I don't take a day off? And that was the implication of the instruction that God gave to his people. If you read out the whole story of the law, when you read it in Deuteronomy, and you read it in Exodus, when you read the story of it, you realize he's saying to them, if you don't keep the Sabbath day, I consider that to be a sundering of the way that I intended you to live. What was the purpose of that Sabbath day? And this is the thing. We think, ah, come here. You know, yeah, it's easy. You just take a day off. It's nice and easy. It's not, it's not too complicated. But oh, it is complicated because humans aren't that simple. And the process is actually relatively complicated. What was the purpose of this day off? It was a Sabbath day unto the Lord. There's a word used in the Psalms. It's used 74 times in the Bible. It's used 71 times in the Psalms alone. It is the word, the Hebrew word, Salah. And the word Salah they actually don't really know what it means. It might be a musical annotation. It might be an instruction to pause so that they can play like an instrumental lead. Maybe they're going to play a lead in the middle of the thing. I don't know what they're going to do. But what is known for sure is that it means to stop what you're doing. To stop the current process and to pause for an interlude of something or other. Many, many people think it simply is translated as pause and reflect. And that was what God wanted people to do on this one day off a week. He said, take a day off. It's a Sabbath day to the Lord. The purpose of that was to stop, to reflect, to remember the goodness of the Lord. I spoke about meditation a couple of weeks ago. The thing about meditation for Christians, it's about remembering God's goodness, about remembering all that God has done for us. It was a time to stop, to reflect, to remember and to reset the problem was, God was dealing with human beings. He knows what human beings are like. We tend to get carried away. We tend to rush off into our lives. We tend to stay busy. And when we switch off from God, we become more and more dependent on our own abilities, on our own strengths to provide for us. And in actual fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, a whole chapter dedicated to this point, the Lord says to them, do not Forget the Lord your God. Remember how he led you in the desert for 40 years. Your shoes didn't wear out. Your feet didn't swell up. You ate every day. He said, remember how the Lord your God has been good to you. Because if you don't remember, you'll take matters into your own hands. And that will be. But if you go to Leviticus 25, there's an interesting challenge in Leviticus 25. You might say, Aaron Michael, that's all the Old Testament. Sure, that's, that was for the Old Testament Jews. No, there's instruction in here that we, if we have ears to hear, can hear the voice of God to our situations. When Moses speaks to the Israelites and he is giving the words of God to the Israelites in Numbers chapter 25. I'm sorry, my apologies. In Leviticus chapter 25, I got my, I'm reading Numbers at the moment. So Leviticus chapter 25. He gives them instructions about the Sabbath and he gives them some instructions and he says, you're to take off one day every week. And then there's a couple of weeks in there when they're supposed to take off as well. But then he says, you're supposed to let the land, the land rest once every seven years. So every seventh year, they were not supposed to plant any food. They weren't supposed to tend their vineyards or their vines or their fig trees. They weren't supposed to tend any of those. They were to let everything rest, even the land itself was to take a rest. And all of this was speaking of God's goodness. And in the middle of it all, 
Obviously, a question arises. They lived in an agrarian society. What did you eat? You ate what you grew. Remember, all of this happened even before they entered into the Canaan, even before they crossed the river. The Lord said to them, I want you to give the land a rest once every seven years. And the Lord beats them to the draw and he says to them what it is that might be on their own minds. This is what he says to them. But you might ask, what will we eat during the seventh year? Since we're not allowed to plant or harvest crops that year. What are we supposed to eat, Lord? It's a pretty reasonable question. It's an agrarian society. If nothing grows, we don't eat. That was the rules for thousands and thousands of years in civilization. What do we do? What are we going to eat? You know, in this current time, when we could be facing maybe a very difficult financial crisis over the next while, we don't know what way the world economy is going to go. I just want to say this to you. God is your provider. He is your provider. And that's what I want you to take into your soul today. Remember, we take the Sabbath rest. We rest in what God has done. We rest not only in the one who makes the crops, but the one who made the earth in which the crops themselves grow. And they ask a question, what are we going to eat? And the Lord says to them, be sure that I will send my blessing for you in the sixth year. And the land will produce a crop large enough for three years. Now look at this for a second. He is promising them. He's giving them a promise on the basis of their intention. They haven't actually done anything yet. But he's giving them the promise to say that if you honor me and if you obey me in that sixth year, I will give you enough for three whole years. Years. He goes on to say, when you plant your fields in the eighth year, you will still be eating from the large crop of the sixth year. He goes further again. In fact, he says, you will still be eating from that large crop when the new crop is harvested in the ninth year. God makes this incredible promise to them if they will only do what he's telling them to do. And what was the whole point of that? The whole point was that they were to be reminded that all that they produced, all that they lived on, all of their provision came from the Lord. That he was their provider. He was the one who looked after them. And they weren't to be in the same state of panic that the surrounding nations were in if they didn't have a harvest. He was saying to them, you're not to be like the surrounding nations who constantly, constantly, constantly work. Who never take a rest. Who feel that it's always down to them. And the problem for us as Christians is that we can get into our heads and into our souls what the message of the world is. And that is that it is all down to you. If you don't look after yourself, no one's going to look after you. That's it's not true for the Christian. It's not true for you if you trust in the Lord. It's not true for you that if you don't look after yourself, no one will look after you. The Lord is your provider. He is your provider. But it came with really one simple instruction. Once a week, once every seven years, and then once every 50 years, you were to set everybody, set all the slaves free, cancel all the debts. And instead of the, the Nike, just do it, he gave them a simple instruction. It was just, just don't do it. Just don't do it. Take a rest. Take a break. Rest and trust in God. And that is hard. That is not easy to do. To take your hand off the tiller, to take the hand off the controls of your life, even once a week, can be very hard to do. Because it is so contrary to the way that our minds have been trained by the systems that we live in, the world that we live in, and, and, and the influences, the cultural and the economic influences that we have on us. It is really, 
really hard to stop and to do that. The other thing that was important was this, that when they sat down and they took a rest, it was what behavioural psychologists would call a cue. It was a cue to them that when they, when they began to rest, when they actually stopped, immediately they began to think about God's goodness in their lives. We all do it all the time. We have certain routines that we do that put us in a certain frame of mind. Some people, for instance, when they go home, when I go home, I take off my shoes as I go into the house. It's always a reminder to me that I'm now at home and I can rest and I can relax. Other people change their entire uniforms. Yesterday I had a conversation with a, a young man who lives in my house who owns a motocross bike and he said to me something interesting. He said, Dad, when I put on my motocross helmet, I feel different. I feel a different feeling in me. And it's really simple. It's because he's getting, giving himself a cue to prepare to ride his bike. And we give ourselves these cues. And this was a cue to the Israelites. When you stop, you will begin to remember, you'll begin to reflect, you'll begin to realize all that God has done for you. And you will begin to reset your relationship. It was an opportunity to reset the relationship. Because I know when the world gets as busy as it's ever been again in a couple of months' time, we will all need to come back and reset. For the Christian, we can reset daily. I'm going to be looking a little bit further into that on Tuesday night. But I want to, want to come to a point that I want to lift out of Isaiah chapter 58. Isaiah chapter 58 is a very famous chapter because it's known as the chapter of justice. Where Isaiah challenges the Israelites about the way that they're living. And he says, you're fasting and you're doing this and you're doing that and you're doing the other thing. But what I want from you is I want justice. I want you to treat the orphan well. And I want you to treat the poor well. And I want you to treat your employees well. And I want you to set your slaves free. That's what I want to do. And towards the end of Isaiah 50, 58, while he's on the subject of justice, the subject of the Sabbath comes up again. Because this was a constant, constant, constant refrain. Here he says in Isaiah chapter 58, keep the Sabbath day holy, he says. Don't pursue your own interests on that day, but enjoy, enjoy it. Take a day off and enjoy it. Just enjoy the Sabbath and speak of it with delight because they weren't speaking of it with delight. They were staying busy. They were working all the time. The Sabbath was a bit of a hassle to them. I, I can even think of Sunday when I grew up. We hated Sunday because nothing happened on the Sunday. But now I think, oh, I'd love a day when nothing happens. He says, speak of it with delight as the Lord's holy day. Honour the Sabbath in everything you do on that day and don't follow your own desires. And what were the own desires they were following? The desire to get richer, to get wealthier, to secure against an unknown future. That was the desires. And he goes on to say this. He says, then the Lord will be your delight. If you delight in the Lord, if you delight in the day off that he's told you to take, the Lord himself will be your delight. And we're going somewhere here. I will give you great honour. God will give you honour when you honour him. It says it in, in, um, in Samuel. It says, if you honour me, I will honour those who honour me. It's that simple. If you honour God, he will give you great honour. He says, and I will satisfy you. You won't have to go hungry, which is what you're being told all the time. I'll go hungry. There won't be enough with an inheritance. I promise to your ancestor Jacob, I the Lord have spoken. And that's the important bit here at the end. I, the Lord, who made every star, who made every inch, every square inch of 
the universe, who made everything living, everything that is not living, everything seen and unseen. That's the Lord who told them, obey my Sabbath and I will honor you and I will bless you because then you remember the source of your goodness. But all of this, brothers and sisters, is only a shadow of what we as New Testament Messiah, Jesus believing Christians can know. Because it's slightly different from us. But I want to finish off just one last point on this. At the very end of 2 Chronicles, I, don't, I haven't got the verse up here. At the very end of 2 Chronicles, just after Nebuchadnezzar has taken the Israelites off into captivity, they'd be gone for 70 years. And at the end of that time, just, just as they're carted off, at the very end of the book, there is this mournful refrain. And it says this, it says, And then, when the Israelites were carted off into captivity in Babylon, the land had its Sabbath rest. You know, it didn't say, well, you know, that was the end of the adultery. It didn't say, well, there was no more stealing or murdering or killing or no more dishonoring of the father and mother. The thing that they reflected at the captivity when they were carted off, that the land would have its Sabbath rest. It's such a sad refrain when if they had delighted in the Lord, they would never have been separated from him and would never have suffered in the way that they went on to suffer. The whole purpose, of course, when we look at that, is that in the New Testament, the Sabbath is different. In the New Testament, the Sabbath is not in a place. It's not in a practice. It is in a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. He is the one who gives us the Sabbath rest that we so desperately need, that we so desperately and deeply desire, whether we realize it or not. He is the one who brings rest to our minds, who brings rest to our hearts, brings rest to our souls, and if we listen to him, will even bring rest to our bodies. He is the one who will end our strivings, he will end our strugglings, he will end our anxieties, and he will end our struggles. Here's what he says. Come to me, Jesus said, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm humble and gentle in heart and you will find rest for your souls. What's your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions, you will find rest, a deep sense of rest, a deep sense of rest that goes beyond physical circumstances. It goes beyond prognostications about what your future will be like. He says, come to me and you will find rest for your souls. You won't have to keep struggling and striving and running and racing to keep up or to live the life that you want to go on. Because he says this, he says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So often, brothers and sisters, we take on heavy burdens in our lives. Heavy burdens of anxiety and struggle and suffering and difficulty. Burdens that God never intended us to bear. We take on these struggles and we take on these burdens unnecessarily. Jesus is what it was all pointing to. The Sabbath rest of the Old Testament was just a shadow. A foreshadow of what was about to come. It was a foreshadow of what God really intended for his people. 
Paul, we looked at it earlier, articulated it was a gift of God. So no one can boast. It's not the result of our works. It's a gift. Just like the Sabbath was a gift to the children of Israel, so the salvation that Jesus offers is a gift. And so the rest and the peace that he offers is a gift. All we have to do is take hold of that gift. But I want to wrap up before I go to Tuesday because the rest that Jesus offers is the rest I'm going to be looking at on Tuesday night. I want to look more in depth at that rest that Jesus said he was going to offer. And we're looking at some more New Testament scriptures in relation to that. But I'd love you to take away this. If you believe God, if you have faith, because it takes faith to believe what God says about your life. If you have faith, if you believe his incredible and precious promises, the rest of your life can be a life rest. I'm going to pray. I'm just going to take a few seconds to pray. I'm going to keep my prayer simple. I'm going to ask you, wherever you are, you can stand, raise your hands, close your eyes, fold your fingers, whatever way you would like. But I would like you just to pray with me for a moment as we look at this and as we pray together. Lord Jesus Christ, I thank you that your burden is easy, Lord Jesus. I thank you that in you, we can find rest for our souls. I thank you, Lord, for the gift that is the Sabbath day. I thank you for the gift that, that is the day of rest. A day of rest that was instituted then and that we know benefit from even to this day. We benefit from that in our laws and in the statutes of our country. Lord, I pray today that we would begin to trust in you and remember to take time to reflect to remember your goodness, to reset our relationship with you, Lord. I pray if there is anyone who is tuned in here today and is out of kilter with you, Lord, I pray that they would take this opportunity to reset their faith and their heart and their life and their soul with you. Lord, I pray that we would take your promises seriously, Lord. The Israelites didn't take your promises seriously, Lord, but we want to be a people who take your promises ser seriously, Lord. Lord, even as we face into uncertain futures economically for some, even for many people, Lord, we know this. The Lord is our provider. And if we will honor him and if we will just obey him and take a day off, not a huge jump, but if we will obey him and rest in him, he will provide for us, Lord. I thank you that your plan for us is a life that is free of stress and striving, of anxiety, Lord, and hardship, Lord. Your purpose for us, Lord, is that we should live a life of restfulness in you, Lord. Not a life of laziness, but a life of restfulness, Lord. I pray, Lord, as we go into the coming week ahead, I pray that we would take the time to stop and to rest and reflect. And Lord, that the rest of our lives would be the rest of our lifetime. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. And one last